Anna here. Did you know I have another podcast? And did you know it's all about failure? Well, at this point, you'd have to answer yes to both of those questions because I just told you. But my other show isn't just about failure. It's about failing your way to success. Yes, success. Because the most successful people are often just the people who've gotten up the most times after their failures. Don't believe me? Go download Fail Your Way to Success wherever you get your podcasts or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. You want to build a brand so you can have a thriving business, be featured in the media, attract higher quality clients, and be a leader in your field. You believe a book can help you get there. But how do you do it? What's important now is that I am a best-selling author, and that's awesome. All of my speaking events are actually from my book content. Everybody kept saying do a book. It doesn't have to be any good. There's no better marketing tool. There's no better calling card. In this show, I break down how to write, publish, and promote a book that will build your brand. Get ready, book brand builders. You're about to launch to the next level. Welcome to Build Your Brand with a Book, the podcast formerly known as Launchpad, where I talk to experts and myself about, well, building your brand with a book. I am Anna David. Today's guest is Marilyn Seegers. She's the co-founder of Two C's Agency, which sells the foreign rights of books by authors like James Altucher, somebody I have talked about many times on this podcast and, in fact, broke down his specific launch strategy, and he tweeted about it, not to brag. Back to Marlene. She's also the host of the Make Books Travel podcast, and you are a podcast listener, so you should go check that out. Now, while this episode isn't specifically focused on how to build a brand with a book, it is about a topic so many people ask me about, and honestly, one I didn't know much about myself. So I wanted to find out how the whole foreign rights thing works, like what countries like which books? Can indie writers even sell internationally? And how has COVID changed the situation? So she answers all of that and more. Now, if you want the show notes, which includes a transcript of this episode, as well as links to download, just go to launchpadpub. Sorry. Yeah. Launchpadpub.com slash blog slash Marlene, M-A-R-L-E-E-N, or just go to buildyourbrandwithabook.com where there are several goodies, as well as the latest show notes. Now, I give you Marlene Seegers. So thank you so much for doing this. As I was just telling you, foreign rights just sound so glamorous. It conjures up these images of like a Greek island and doing a book reading on a beach. And it's nothing like that, is it? <laughs> well, especially not now when uh, people are just not traveling anywhere. So uh, I've just I've been working from my home office since the beginning of the pandemic, but, um, and so are our most international publishers. But yeah, I mean, sometimes authors get invited for a, a reading in a very exotic setting, but most of the time it's uh, us going to international book fairs and, and just sitting in these big trade shows, just pitching and in a very busy room and running around and yeah, just, you know, hard business. <laughs> So, but let us live in our fantasy. So how can you tell which books are best for foreign markets? Is it just the quality? Is it the advance the writer was paid? How do you decide? 
Um, I think it's you, you can never really tell for sure whether a book is going to sell internationally or not. And that, I think, is the most interesting part of my job is that you just never know. There's really good surprises. Sometimes there's also bad surprises when I was really rooting for a book that I personally loved and it, I didn't manage to sell the rights. But there are a few elements that um, can help us evaluate in advance whether a book is going to sell or not. And first of all, as you mentioned, it's uh, quality is very important. A book just has to be well-written. Uh, if uh, if I send a, a manuscript to a foreign publisher and it's not well-written, then they, they will realize after a few pages and they stop reading and move on to the next manuscript. So, because um, what you, you have to know is that so many books get published around the world in so many languages, not just English, so acquiring international publishers get so many books on submission every day. So it is our job as a foreign rights seller to, to tell them, hey, drop everything else. Look at this book right here, right now. And being able to tell them, you need to look at this book right here, right now, because it's the number one uh, bestseller in the Wall Street Journal. It is um, it sold X amount of copies, 50,000 copies in the first month of publication. It's been endorsed by XYZ, very you know, famous authors or, or other industry figures that are that are well respected and well known so those elements uh, you know are they're all sales arguments if there's great reviews in the new york times or in the atlantic or whichever traditional publishing um how should i put it um traditional newspapers or um you know blogs and 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 reviews left on 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 websites can also help but it's it's very much um still the the traditional newspapers that that really have a big impact for um international publishers that's super interesting i i wouldn't know that because you think of newspapers as having no pull anymore oh you can get reviewed in the new york times and you can still just sell 100 copies you hear things like that mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but it makes uh, a difference yeah of course it does but it does make a difference being able to mention a quote from the new york times or publishers weekly or kirkers the reviews it, it helps pull them in to the manuscript um rather than an, a, an Amazon reviewer that nobody has heard of and, and, you know, which can be very nice for, for authors and very important too for sales on Amazon, but for international publishers, they like receiving or they like connecting with, with media that they're more familiar with and names that they're more familiar with too. Mm -hmm. And so are there specific markets that you can say, Oh, you know, in Japan, they love thrillers in Italy, they love romance. Are there rules like that? Yeah, I mean, there's 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 trends that come and go. Um, at the moment, anything like nature writing it works really well internationally. I think it's what we're living through at the moment is kind of a back to nature, back to the basics. Let's just enjoy and go outside on a hike and read about what birds we can we can come across and 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 what they can teach us in our lives. And um, but. There are also some some country specific um, interests. I would say for Japan, as you mentioned it, and and in general, all of Southeast Asia, China and South Korea and and Thailand, Vietnam, like any business and marketing title, anything that comes from like the Silicon Valley entrepreneur, um, that is very much um, a genre that is 
much requested by publishers from those territories and that we we tend to sell well into those territories and Mm, then there's I can I can also tell you like specific genres that don't work in specific markets. Um, Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So I'm from the Netherlands originally, and I know the Dutch are very down to earth, both feet on the ground kind of people. And any novel that I've tried to sell that had any kind of like magic realism or any kind of well, fantasy is, is, is a whole genre on its own. But yeah, anything magical or just things that don't add up are very far-fetched. That just doesn't work in the Netherlands. It just, yeah, it just, it just doesn't. They're, uh, You're realists. Yeah. Very, very much so. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I'm giving, these are very broad strokes. Of course, if of course. there's a, if there's a best-selling author uh, that has a, a, a book that has some magic realism in it, which actually I, I just sold a, a title from Italy into the Netherlands, which has magic realis- realism elements in it, but it's it's sold into uh, 10 other countries and it was for six weeks in the Italian bestseller list. So I had all these other arguments that they will also then have to um, to help them sell the book into, you know, into the Netherlands to, to their booksellers. So uh, any of those rules, there's exceptions, of course, but yeah, we can... Um, kind of know in advance sometimes like also Scandinavian countries they're very good at uh, writing noir writing thrillers you know Scandinavian right. suspense like Jonas Bo and Stieg Larsson I think who started it all so those any novels any thrillers or suspense from from Norway or from Sweden they tend to travel better than a suspense or thriller from the Netherlands for instance so it's uh and but as a result also the Scandinavians they are it's harder to sell suspense or thrillers from other countries into Scandinavia because they are so good at it themselves so it's it makes it easier just to publish domestic authors rather than invest in a translation and and publish a book by an author who's not from their territory. So right, you see what right. I mean? Now, <clears throat> you were talking about <clears throat> how you can say to a publisher, a foreign publisher, oh, this was reading the New York Times, a Jonathan Franzen loved it, whatever it is. Do you ever just go, I love this book? Can you bring it without mm. that credibility? Or, you know, or does it always have to have something that se- that pre-sells it? Ideally, it has both. <laughs> but I, yes, it has happened uh, that I just absolutely fell in love with a book and I managed to to sell just on on that premise. But it's it's very rare and it's getting harder and harder. Um, we'll probably talk about that a little bit later on, but with COVID and publishers are becoming, a, a, have become a lot, le- a lot less open or a lot stricter, I have to say, uh, when it comes to selecting titles that they publish. So the more sales elements that you can give, like hard sales elements on top of, I am personally in love with this novel, that, um, yeah, the better it is. Mm-hmm. Now, is there a typical number of, you know, my first book, we sold foreign rights and it sold into just two, Italy and Russia. Um, And I didn't know if selling two countries was a lot, a little, like, is there a typical number that one book will sell in? 
Mm, yeah, that's hard to say. I, I would say um, Italy is a nice market. It's it's a big market, so congratulations on, on that. And Yay. and Russia is not together. easy. Oh. <laughs> Russia is also not easy to sell into. Um, I, I I have to admit. So yeah, those are that's a very nice combination. Um, but it, it it really depends. Sometimes, as I said, I love a book and I just don't manage to sell the rights into any territories. And sometimes, I mean, ideally we because we spend time pitching a book and submitting and keeping publishers informed whether a book sells into foreign territories or not so we already spend our time um whether there's results or not so ideally of course yeah it's like five six seven territories or, or more um I, to, to give you an example the best-selling title that we have in our catalog uh, in terms of foreign rights it's sold into 37 territories. So, but that's really an exception. Like the second best, I'd say it's like 22, 23 territories. And, mm-hmm. and then there's a whole bunch at like 15, 16. And then, yeah, there's, there's a whole lot of titles that only sell into one or two territories. And then there's even more that don't sell at all. It's just, that's part of the business. As I said, you can never really anticipate any foreign sales for sure or not. It's interesting because I bet it's much easier to predict initial sales because initial sales, I can sort of talk to somebody and know if their book is going to sell, sadly, because it's based so much on their platform today. Mm -hmm. And if they've got a built-in audience in that, I bet it's, so it's easier, I think, to tell uh, which books are going to sell here traditionally first. It's mm-hmm. sounding like that. Um, yeah. What percentage of the books that you sell are traditionally published and what independently published? I'm imagining mostly traditional. Uh, yeah. So from independently, you mean working with like a platforms like Amazon and uploading them? To, yeah. Yeah. So actually that doesn't happen at all for us at least. And I think that's what most of the industry looks like in terms of foreign rights sales. It, we really publish or we work with with traditional publishing houses but they're they're both uh, independent what I call independent publishing houses meaning they don't belong to like a big corporation like Penn and Random House or HarperCollins uh, but they're they're independent but they still are they still function in a traditional way mm-hmm. well because I first heard about you through because you're James Altucher's foreign rights agent and he published mm-hmm. independently mm-hmm. yes but his book was massively successful yes as you say, he already had a huge platform. I mean, his blog was, I don't know how many followers how followers he had back then. I think we started to work on his book, Choose Yourself, in 2013, but it was already an impressive amount of, of followers. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then when we when we took, yeah, when we started pitching his title, we could already mention it's a Wall Street Journal bestseller. It has I don't know how many, I'm just making up a number. I think it was like 50,000 copies sold even before we started pitching it. So that is, um, yeah, that's definitely very helpful. And the publishers who ended up publishing him internationally, they're all traditional publishers. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I've, I'd never heard this before, but, and, and you may not be able to speak to this, but, but, you know, I've heard about, people who do publish directly to Amazon, getting their books translated, say, into Spanish and then and then just publishing them to Spanish markets themselves. Is that something you know anything about? Um, I don't know much about it. I would say it's complicated. 
Uh, first of all, you need to make sure that the quality of the translation is good. I mean, that's uh, that that's I would say the first point, the first sticking point, and then working on the editorial side in the foreign language, you need to hire people who are native speakers, editors, and then, but even if all that is good, once you've uploaded it in onto Amazon in Spain or Mexico, like what's going to happen then? Right. It's, yeah. You, you, you need somebody to push it. You need to, you need the press, you need publicity, you need marketing. Of course, I don't know if there's like firms, international firms that you could hire, that you could work with as an independently published author. Uh, that's actually a, a good thing. I, I've never really looked into that. But mm-hmm. as I said, it just brings about a lot of extra work and a, a lot of extra, I'd say, costs as well, because you you, you want to make sure that the book or the quality of the translation and, and the editing and the layout and the design is is good. Right, right. I, and so, how do you? What on that note? How do you launch a book? So, so when my Italy and Russian rights sold, like nothing happened. You know what I mean? Like, is there something I could have done aside from going there? Uh, You know, what can the author do to help their book launch in a foreign country? Yeah, that's, I mean, if the if the author already has a platform there or has already been published previously and has like a, a fan base or readership that knows him, then usually authors do get invited by the international publisher or there's like literary festivals or um, who, who invite authors. And, uh, but for first time authors, it's true that publishers tend to want to wait how the book is received and whether mm-hmm. the book starts selling well before they decide on investing in, in an invitation. And yeah, it's, um, I don't really have an answer to that because it's, it's not really that the, the foreign publisher has their own team of, of marketing and, and publicity and who often also don't necessarily speak the language a lot of people speak English, but I'm, I'm thinking, for instance, if a Spanish author is translated into Russian, like the, the, the Russian sales team does not necessarily speak Spanish and the author doesn't necessarily speak English, nor does the press team. So it's it just there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of hurdles to overcome there. But yeah, I, I, I yeah, I really can't give you a straight answer to that. It's uh, it, it's just a matter of trusting that the foreign publisher knows what they're doing. You know, it's a lot of, a lot of this, um, as is with publishing in, in domestically, it's, it's a lot of, a lot depends on good timing and a lot of luck as well. So that also happens with, with international publishers when they, when they launch a book, even some books that are, that sell really well. um, Like for instance, I, I was speaking with an Italian editor the other day and they published this German book speaking of nature writing it's called Mm -hmm. the secret language of trees I don't know if you've heard of it it was it sold pretty well in in the U.S. too it was originally from Germany and it sold in a lot of countries it sold really well he told me in Italy because I was pitching a nature writing book to him and he's like "Mm," you know comparing it to that book doesn't really help here because it just we did everything we could we even we invited the author because it was like an international sensation and it just it just didn't it didn't sell so there's there's yeah there's there's 
I'm afraid that there, I don't think there's much the author can do unless the author already like has a specific connection with that language, can can speak it, uh, ha- can actually you know record a video. Sometimes that's what happens, especially now when authors cannot travel to to the countries to help launch the book. The the foreign publishers ask the authors to record a video if if they can do it in the in a local language that would be uh, that would be very helpful and reach out on, on on social media but other than that it's it's there's not much an author can do I'm afraid other than just hope for the best <laughs> pray <fingers> yes <laughs> exactly so um you mentioned you know that things have changed a lot so would you say it's getting much hard you mean you sort of did say this it's getting harder and harder mm-hmm. to sell foreign rights fewer foreign rights are selling now yeah, I'd say it's more concentrated. So foreign rights continue to sell, but it's like the best-selling authors and the best-selling titles that are getting sold for more money. And then kind of the, the mid-list authors that that sell okay domestically, but there's not much else to going on around it. They they tend to be overlooked. Just because, you know, with COVID, a lot of a lot of countries had bookstores that were closed for months. I, I spoke with a UK editor this morning and they, in the spring, uh, their bookstores were closed for 12 weeks and uh, they're actually getting into a lockdown, new lockdown mm. uh, tomorrow. And um, everybody is a little bit better prepared. It seems to, to handle online sales, but still a lot of publications that were initially scheduled in the spring had to be postponed, which pushed forward the titles that were supposed to be published in the fall to next spring. So everything has been kind of shuffled around, which leaves a lot lot less space for new acquisitions because of course publishers also continue with authors that they they've already acquired titles from before and they, they come out with new titles. So this leaves a lot less room for, um, for new acquisitions. This is a temporary, let's hope this is a temporary uh, situation, but that's what I've felt in this last, these last two, three months. And also, well, people, we just don't know what's what's going to happen and uh well, a lot of foreign rights sales depend also i have to i have to mention this because it's it's part of the as you say a little bit maybe the glamorous side of it it's we, we travel a lot to international book fairs there's two really important trade shows that take place in uh, london in the spring and in frankfurt germany in the fall and obviously london was cancelled very last minute so nothing happened it was like a big void <laughs> everybody was grappling with just surviving and the situation in March and uh, the Frankfurt Book Fair went fully virtual. So we just had Zoom meetings for two weeks, three weeks, nonstop. I actually went, uh, I I worked on night shifts because I'm in California. So I, and I wanted to make the most of it. So I I started at (laughs) 1am until uh, till nine or or 10am. But um, I've noticed that because nobody is meeting in person, you know, a lot depends on relationships. So if you know specific editors really well, they trust you, they trust your opinion. So, and in that case, if you say, I love this book, they're much more likely to say, okay, I need to read it now because Marlene loves it. And all that just happens so much better when you're there in person, yeah. even on a screen, it's it's just not the same. So for us, right sellers, the job has become more challenging because everything is digital. We're not seeing anybody in person. And all we can do now is submit titles and send out reminders and send out newsletters about 
bestseller rankings or but all the right sellers are doing that now editors are telling me we're getting so much more in our inbox just mm. just so so we need to find creative ways to 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 pitch our titles and the frankfurt book fair as i said it went fully digital it it offered um it offered possibilities to to record webinars or but i decided not to attend because it's also I was going to sit in for half an hour with when there's not, it's not a personal thing. It really is about the personal connection. So I know a few agencies did, did record webinars. Uh, yeah. I have no idea. It's still too soon to, to say whether they were successful or not, or whether it was useful or not. So, so it's just, that's changed a lot in our, in our dealings, in our daily lives. So it's uh, yeah, as I said, it's, it's, it's a bit more challenging. Publishers are, they are buying less, but they continue to buy. And, and in the end, everybody that the, the general spirit was pretty much uplifting. Uh, a lot of a lot of sales were made over the summer and in the in the fall, whereas obviously the spring wasn't wasn't so uh, wasn't so glorious, so to speak. Um, but so, yeah, I think that the, the, the international publishing market is resilient, but it is getting it, it's gotten a lot tighter. But at the same time. Uh, you know, all studies show reading is up. People are yes. reading more. Yeah. So there's possibly, you know, and possibly that will last after we're out of this crazy period. So mm-hmm. who knows? It could, you know, there could be a resurgence. Mm-hmm. For sure. A lot of, a lot of editors told me also that they, like people who tend to spend money on cultural activities, like going to museums or to a theater or to movie theater, which in many countries have been closed since March. So they now spend their money more on books. So it's definitely, uh, yeah, books. uh, As I said, a lot of of publishers had a really good summer and good fall. Now, of course, the the Christmas period is always very important. And uh, now with with the the threat of, of, you know, many more countries going down in in lockdown and and the bookstores not being able to count on these walk-ins, like shopping experiences. Uh, that's what I meant with the, the uncertainty. We don't really know what's going to happen like in the next couple of months, but I, I mean, I'm with you. <laughs> Let's hope that that just people are rediscovering reading and that it will, it will be, yeah, it will outlast uh, this, this, this horrible uh, pandemic that we're living through. And so, and so as we wrap up, tell me about your podcast, why you decided to start it and how it's going. Um, so I've been I've been wanting to start a podcast for uh, a while. Actually, it's it's my husband who's co-founder of the agency. I always say he's the entrepreneur of 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 our couple. Uh, he he actually started a podcast for one of his companies, and then he was like, "Oh, why don't you start one?" I'm sure nobody's doing it in the international publishing world, and I was like, "Yeah, I'll look into it." And there's always so much else to do. So, but then obviously, as I said, the London Book Fair didn't happen. I I was in I was in Amsterdam for one week, and then I flew back right before the borders shut, and then yeah people were just stressed out and were very much in need to reconnect and I so was I so normally we just have this whirlwind of meetings for for days in a row meetings and then drinks and then dinners and you just catch up with so many people in that one week of the London book fair that just didn't happen and people uh People were were eager to to reconnect, and I was really eager to reconnect, connect with people in another way. So 
I decided to then, yeah, start start the podcast. And initially it was about the, the very first episode was um, it focused on how the agency has been working with a remote office since the beginning, which a lot of publishers were having to deal with because, um, yeah, everybody was working from home at the time and but definitely did not know how to do it. It was uh, it was really interesting to see. So that was like the initial, like, how do we do it? Which programs do we use? Just very like nitty gritty stuff. And then I got a lot of positive feedback and then people started reaching out. Oh, I'd love to talk to you. And also because so many countries were going through a similar experience, but in, in a different rhythm, obviously China and Korea had the shutdowns already sooner and then Europe arrived and then uh, then then the US. So I thought it was also really interesting to to reach out to publishers from specific territories and just ask them about what's going on in your country. How how are you dealing with the pandemic and how is your publishing company or your agency dealing with the pandemic? What do you think are people reading our um, audiobooks on the rise, obviously, that was a, that was an important topic uh, mm-hmm. then because so many people couldn't buy print books because Amazon was also not prioritizing books. So that was that was the onset, and I um, yeah, I'm actually starting season two tomorrow, <laughs> recording the first episode. I took a little break with the Frankfurt uh, Book Fair season, and uh, but it's been it's been great, and I I absolutely love it. It's just it's another way to connect with, with people um, because we're just, we're not seeing each other now. And, and everybody is very, very sad about not being able to see each other. It's a, it's a really magical experience. Those two book fairs, Frankfurt and London. Mm. And then there, there's plenty of others that I also go to, but those, those are the two where everybody just shows up and yeah, it's, it's like a reunion. <laughs> So in so in terms of audio, do you sell foreign rights of audiobooks too and hire actors in that? Um, so I so the the foreign publishers usually nowadays when they buy the publishing rights to a book or the translation rights to a book, they acquire print, ebook, and audiobook rights. So that all is in one uh, contract. And then the foreign publisher, either they sublicense it to a specific audiobook publisher who then takes care of the production, or what is happening more and more, they have it recorded in-house because then they own the master files, obviously, and they can do Mm-hmm. a lot of things with it so yeah definitely audio is on the rise I would say it's nowhere near the levels in terms of sales and, and income it's nowhere near the levels it has in the US and the UK and other English language markets Germany has been strong in in the audiobook market for a couple of years now where it actually is um it's like a competitor to the, the mass market paperback edition even wow in other countries, it's it's still very much at the very beginning, but there is interest and people are interested in in having the audiobook rights. And more and more are telling us if we can't have the audio rights, then we're not making mm. an offer altogether. And that's also because I don't know if you've heard of the there's a Swedish company called Storytel. It's a yeah. little bit like, yeah, they they've been aggressively expanding internationally they originally started out in the Scandinavian countries but now they're also operating in the Netherlands in Spain in Bulgaria 
all, all around also in Asia. So that is, they, they have really um, accelerated the development and especially in terms of streaming, that's it's, it's mainly a streaming platform. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been delightful. Thank you so much. If people want to find you and listen to your podcast, how can they do that? So uh, I would say they go to the website, uh, 2CsAgency.com, which is a two of the number two. And there is a link to the podcast on the website. But otherwise, um, it's called the Make Books Travel podcast because we make books travel. And it's available on Spotify, Google Podcasts, iTunes, wherever you, you listen to, uh, to your regular podcasts. Well, wonderful. Thanks so much. And um, thank you guys for listening. And I will see you next week. Not you, them. I'm not going to see anybody. I'm going to talk to you. (laughs) 